Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name's Pip Adam and this is episode 103. Um, it's the 17th in our Element series. Um, we've got this series running all year where we're spending three months at a time looking at an element of craft with as many people as we can find. So um, if you have listened to any of the other episodes in this um, season on point, you um, will have heard me worrying about this idea of the sort of primacy of vision um, when we talk about point of view in writing. Um, and so what I have done today, and I'm extremely grateful to Ebony Lamb for um, her patience, is that I've gone to someone who um, works in the visual medium. So Ebony Lamb, among other things, is an amazing photographer. Um, she's an incredible photographer, but particularly um, her work of portraiture um, is probably what you've come in contact um, with um, out in the wild world. Um, so. Ebony has gratefully given us an image, a self-portrait to talk about, and that is on our website, better-red.com. Highly recommend you go and have a look at that because the discussion kind of talks a little bit um, around this photo of Ebony. And um, yeah, it's just a really helpful conversation for me. Um, Ebony and I are often talking about um, photography, but I feel like there's streams going back into um writing all the way through. Um, as well as being a photographer, Ebony is an amazing songwriter and musician as well. And I think that that um, shared thing of photography and writing um, and music um, make for a really interesting conversation. So very grateful to Ebony for taking the time to have this conversation. This conversation took place over Zoom um, as I record this on the 10th of September. Um, New Zealand is in varying degrees of lockdown um, due to a um, Delta um, outbreak or an outbreak of the Delta variant. Um, so I think when I was listening back to this podcast, there's that's sort of on my mind. You know, I'm missing my friends and I'm um, missing Ebony. And um, yeah, it also made me just want to take a moment to say, I hope everyone's doing okay. I'm thinking of you lots. Um, yeah, I just I just hope everyone's doing okay. Um, so yeah, this is the podcast. I'm very grateful to Copyright Licensing New Zealand um, who have given us some funding. At the moment, you can apply for that same contestable funding if you go to if you just Google Copyright Licensing New Zealand or you go to their Twitter site, um, you'll find a link of how to apply for the contestable funding. Um, this funding this year has been fantastic. It's meant that I've been able to pay everyone that comes on the podcast, and um, I'm just really grateful for that so thank you very much copyright licensing New Zealand and get out there and apply amazing amazing opportunity and yeah at the end of this conversation there will be um, a short exercise if you want to respond um, in a writing kind of way so thank you very much and I hope you enjoy the podcast hey Ebony how are you it's so nice to have you here so good to be here Pip Oh, thank you so much for coming. Um, I was wondering if we could just start by you introducing yourself, however you want to do that. Well, kia ora everyone. My name is Ebony Lamb and I um, live in Days Bay, Lower Hutt, Aotearoa. And that's, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. It's so lovely to see you through the Zoom. I've, I've been missing seeing you in humanness, but yeah, it's really lovely. Me too. <laughs> um, I was wondering, um, you've been really generous and offered us an image to talk about today. And I wonder if you would mind explaining this image 
anything you any information you think would be useful about this image and perhaps even why you chose this image why this was an image you were interested in talking about um well the image i mean i i felt um i feel really i feel as a photographer i felt really good about this image and also at the at the same time i feel slightly self-conscious that it's me it is a self-portrait and mm. uh, a couple of reasons for that one is that i give full permission that we should just talk about it because i i I didn't want to um, go too in deep with other people's imagery because it is personal. Having a photograph taken is a deeply personal thing. So I'm happy. I'm very transparent about the process and how that works. And I almost did it the same for me. But um, mostly when I think about all of the other images and people of particularly portraiture, that's my strong point and it's something I really love, is... Um, they're all stories. There's like a hundred stories sitting there and to choose one is difficult. <laughs> but the, um, and I think the reason I felt it feel probably a little bit better about using it is it was actually a really great designer called Sarah Maxey who um, said, I want to use this image when you come and play at the, mu um, at the museum and she let me know what she thought about the image. And I had never had that kind of response to my work in that way. You know, people say that they like the work, but she was like, this is a really powerful image. And she felt close to it. And it could be of anyone. Yes, it's me, but it could be of anyone. And I think the point that I loved about it was um, it's quite compelling. There's actually a lot going on. It, it was... If you look at the whole thing, it can be it can be compartmentalized and made into a portrait view, or but it is actually naturally a landscape. There's crap in the background, which is just life, you know. I, I have a family. There's you know the awkwardness of an indoor washing machine and a crappy BMX bike, and there's a sliding rancher, and there's just all, this is just our house. And it was I just sat down. Um, in the right spot the light is really good so the image works because it's got side light which is just a classic for anyone anytime any place actually it's very kind <laughs> and um for whatever reason it worked um and I hadn't used a tripod I had it sitting up on my kitchen bench top and um there's a certain technicality that you have to be really careful, like will it actually capture me or will it capture behind me so I'm out of focus. I probably took 10 photographs and about five worked, which was surprising to me because it's not always that great a hit rate. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I chose it. I really like it. I like the tones. I like the colours. I like, I w I'd like to be able to take that photograph of anybody. Yeah, that's why I chose it. It's a magnificent photo and I think I said to you before we started recording it's one of my favorite photos of yours and I am really interested personally in self-portrait um, you know like right from when I, I did sort of art history at university this idea that um, you know when the, this technical aspect of taking an image of ourselves I think is really really interesting and um I don't know, right, right from those first painted self-portraits that I got to study where people, their faces look different because they're concentrating on, you know, looking at themselves and copying and that sort of thing. So I'm really interested in the, in the setup and the, I really loved what you said that it, it was a little bit, um, 
like a little bit was left to the technology you know like there was room in there where a little bit's left to the technology and I just wonder about these decisions that you make in photography about where you take the picture from and I wonder you I, I'm lucky enough to have been photographed by you and I, I feel like you're often looking at angles and light and things like that can you is there any way you can talk through that process of making a decision simply about where you're going to put the camera maybe even in relation to this but yeah absolutely well yeah it's thanks for the I mean I loved photographing you I know that it's been really it's it can be incredibly difficult to be photographed I think the thing about self-portraiture which is it in the common world, it's just taken off. It's ridiculous. Um, but there's a difference between some of that. Well, the self-portraiture that I was trying to do was I was trying to really capture me. I wasn't trying to show me at the top of a cliff top or it wasn't for <laughs> pings, you know. I was trying to capture me. And one thing about self-portraiture, which I think really works for people, is um, you don't, you know you, you actually do know you. you, it can be quite confronting, but you do know you and you can be, I'm very comfortable photographing myself, I actually am quite difficult to probably photograph by other people, unless I really <laughs> trust their work, but I usually say a precursor, would you mind, blah, 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 because I'm, I'm an egg, you know, I need to leave it to them, but um, I think there's that, it's another psychological layer that's lifted, because it's a self-portrait. So you can take your time. You can do a quick setup. There are no expectations that it will go right. That's probably a helpful thing. Mm. I'm not under pressure to um, pay myself or to have it turn out. I can do this anytime, place. And so in that way, and I've been taking self-portraits since I was about 15. I mean, I had my first um, very manual camera from Russia called a Zenit that my dad bought me and I started photographing just like right now it's all portraiture mostly it's often using light and dark I love the greats when I think about where to place the camera I think I naturally have an eye that knows what I like but I did go and train mm. and um, when I went and trained it taught me to think about that much more defined and it also we went through like you say it's like going throughout history again of the masters of what makes a great portrait so some of my favorite portrait photographers it's just a very classic light on one side it's hitting the other cheek um you can see their eyes and it's not meant to be um some kind of cheesy representation of you and it's also not meant to be too serious it's somewhere in between where it's just the authentic self and we th I think about that and I think well what is it it's that at the time you know at your time in your life too you know when I was fifth year come back to the tell me the question I'm missing because I know I'm missing one no I, I think, think about it quite deeply and I'm also like when I think about photographing me in my house um, I do a setup I would check it I would check it with putting something in its way to check it. And then there's always the mystery. There's the alchemy of the mystery of like this may or may not work. And sometimes my greatest set setups have been terrible. <laughs> and then, and well, they haven't been awful, but something else that is 
beyond me because light is constantly changing from morning till night. How light works, all of those things, I learned all of that. So there's a lot of grace, you know, in the in early morning light for a short period of time, much more grace in an afternoon light. But actually a revelation was to me is that I'm not subject to just those two times a day as a natural photographer. I can actually make it work all day if you just have to think about it differently you know go by a house go by a tree change the light move your hand get a plant in the way shift spaces turn the other angle all that stuff I think just it's actually I mean I've been obsessed with light since I can remember so I and I don't think I actually have the vocabulary to really say it I think it's an experience yeah yeah, I really love that. I, I just, um, yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, that, that fills me. I, I mean, like whenever I'm talking to someone um, and they're talking about their art that perhaps isn't novel writing, I'm thinking about all these connections and there's just so many connections in what you're saying to, um, yeah, these ideas of point of view and where we tell stories from and um, how much control we have and how much, how little control we have and you know the the things that we do to try and gain control and yeah I just I really I really love what you said one of the really interesting things I think about with photography is that in a way what you're creating is something that will be seen by another person like Mm -hmm. you're sort of um like when I look around you know like I sort of look around and da 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 whereas you're sort of freezing in time something and putting a a viewer you know like it's very very much made in anticipation of a viewer I think but maybe I'm wrong like do you think much about the viewer when you're photographing or is that yeah yeah, what what I do is I think it's my job too I think it's part of my job I think I think it's never one view I think it's um actually I just read a little quote that came up and it was like there are always two people in a photograph there's the person who's in the photograph and the person who's looking at it because your perception is, you know, we change throughout the day. I mean, that's why, I mean, she's not photographed, but that's why Mona Lisa changes for different people. What is she actually doing? You know, that's like the Mecca for me. (laughs) (laughs) I try and get there. But, um, but also I think uh, it's, and she's not maudlin, but she's just is. And I think mm. that's kind of... Um, so when I come back to thinking about... I'm often asked to photograph people because they need public representation in their work, in their other mm. work. So if they're writers or they're musicians or they have a product or they're, they're, they're um, you know, they, they sometimes work for different businesses or... Um, that's that public representation is a different angle I think than like family photography or wedding photography um and I think about that and I think well at the end of the day you can actually change you you do have the ability to change the receiver's point of view by what you put in the image so the coloring your face your the, the angles you can come across incredibly contemporary or a little bit more classic or um, striking out into a new sphere with your work. Like a spe- it's a very powerful tool because when I see images attached 
now more than ever interestingly enough they keep saying it was a dying art I'm like man images are everywhere they're everywhere so on the internet you know business whole businesses are built on imagery so yes they have a product and yes they have words but I'm not going to read 10 10 pages I'm going to look at the image and say yes now I'll read some pages sadly you know <laughs> but also yeah it, I think the other thing is is that when I think about that perspective it it's about what the every artist wants to be understood to a certain level and have a little bit of power about the way that they're perceived and so it is worthwhile in my experience really listening to them and if they've asked me usually it's because they like my aesthetic and somehow we join forces and then that's the trifecta um, and so the end point the, the goal at least that they want to go for is there and if I come back to like family wedding documentary kind of photography in lots of ways that is capturing moments in time that's an incredibly I've found what do I really want to say is like we can say wedding photography in such a flippant way it's some of the hardest work I've ever done it taught me so much about um basically becoming a ninja in photography it was so difficult and so rewarding um so I do want to say that because sometimes we can look at all these pretty images and it's like actually those people are incredible um, because they've managed to take this very short condensed patch of time show the joy and it's about capturing humanity at their you know their best basically documentary photography can be capturing the best of what is happening and it can be dreadful but mm. it's so compelling and it tells a story but yeah I think that one-on-one -on -one focus of the portrait I mean I'm I'm the I'm a little bit of a traitor really Pip because like I love <laughs> books but I opened every single I love biographies especially I would always just open to the end to see what they looked like in their in their portrait at the end in their black and white portrait for like years I did that I still do that I'm like they look interesting wow <laughs> I'd like to take people's author portraits not the book I don't want to write the book I want to take the portrait so you know maybe I found my niche market after all <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you're so good at it as well what a geek what a geek oh, no, no you're perfect well meeting of the geeks maybe you and I together hey um that I've I've got a question which is totally a selfish question <laughs> which is Go always ahead. yeah um I I can never recognize myself in photos like I'll see a photo of four people and I'll be there and mm -hmm. I'll look kind of inhuman compared with the rest of the like I'll look very different do you have mm. thoughts about why people have trouble like recognizing themselves in photos, if you know what I mean? Like a, a photo that you might think, oh my God, they look amazing. I'll talk about, mm. you know, like there, there are a couple when we photographed where you were like, oh, this one's a great photo. And I was thinking, whoa, I don't, I don't even, whoa, who is that person? Do you have any thoughts about that psychological thing of being photographed? Like, is it something that you have to deal with in your work or I don't know? All the like... time, all the time, all the time. I think um, I, I really, it's the biggest hurdle, I think, to portraiture. And it's the biggest um, thing I can do as a photographer is to try and to connect. Like, actually, um, it's not just about snapping their picture for their book. It, it is about connection, because if you don't, have that psychological connection 
I, as a person, like I'm, I'm lucky. I'm an artist as well. I have been photographed in different mm. settings. And I think there's nothing like the experience to teach you what doesn't work and what does work. And um, it's extremely vulnerable. I don't think I've met a single person who hasn't felt a, a level of vulnerability that you don't get to. You're faced with yourself. You're faced with the way you look. You're faced with potentially not being understood by the way that you look. How horrendous would that be, you know? So the job is to um, connect with the person deeply. Even in a short period of time, you don't have to become best buds, but for that period of time, it's you and them and the camera. And I like it just to be that three. Anything more is just really distracting. Um, on the odd occasion where I've had larger shoots, where it's, yes, it's portraiture, but there's quite a few people. There's a lot of dynamics going on when there's more people. Um, because then you've got multiple layers of psychological analysis going on all at the same time. Imagine six people being photographed. It's like, woo. And I did need help for that. And luckily I, I asked the right people. So I was still able to focus. And I think time, I don't believe that photography needs to be, I think saying, oh, we can get it done really fast. It'll be fine. Um, actually sets me up for failure because sometimes people need the time sometimes you get it in that first five minutes and sometimes it's the last five minutes and also I would say to that I've had the experience of my perception of what I think is really great and someone else doesn't doesn't feel that way about it they don't feel it represents them and that's the beauty of having time you can take quite a few so that someone gets a scope and I have absolutely been photographed where I didn't recognize myself and I didn't like the image. And someone really loved it and they used it. And I was like, oh, um, I felt quite awkward about, I don't think I actually, I think I let them know, but it was about a year later. That's how psychological it is. That's how vulnerable you are to be able to say to someone, oh, I actually didn't didn't work for me I prefer this type over here they got they got the rest of me which was amazing but there was one particular image I just um yeah didn't didn't connect with it at all and um it made me a bit upset actually because and I think that's where you have to that coming back to like you really do need to know yourself and I think if you choose a photographer that allows you to have power over your work you can say yes and no you don't have to use what they like. You do, if there's something in there that speaks to who you really are. I've, I think because I've probably been obsessed with photographs my entire life, I have no trouble recognizing myself in photographs. But on the odd occasion, where that's when I'm not, when I'm not in control and other people have, in a casual setting, I've been actually quite um, smarted. Yeah, because I'm like, oh no. That's not me. That's not really who I am. Um, and I think we have to be careful. You know, I'm very aware of, um, learned this a long time ago. I mean, when I went to school, I did a, I went to a Steiner school and I did a class 12 project in my final year, which is like the seventh form year. And it was independent of the school, but it was a huge part of that year. I had to do a 30 minute public speech. I had to write a 3,000 word thesis for a dyslexic person who wasn't really into that kind of stuff. It was big. I um, did a lot of work. I photographed 10 people 
and I made a whole book, a hand-bound book, and I did an exhibition. And I had a mentor outside of the school, and I got to, as a 17, 18-year-old, to delve into this part. And I also had to photograph people I didn't know. Not all of them, but some of them. And it was the beginning of my journey, really. And um, that, that really taught me... I've just lost it off the tip of my thoughts, but it was like it really taught me so much. I think it is um, around it's this has been a slow burn for my entire life. So my I don't know if I've got enough separation from that to say I've experienced that fully the way that you have as maybe someone that's in a different medium. Um, I will take ownership of my work and I will not use it violently saying to me almost no the yes and the no I in recent years when I got to study as a mature student was the biggest gift of my entire life if I could go back and do finish the degree I, I would 100% do that in a heartbeat I'm not in a position in my life at the moment that I can do that but it was like deep diving into who I really am so it's deeply psychological yes you really need to get people on your team you really need to um, support them through the process but at the same time you can trust your own eye but you also I think about how much help my tutors gave me and they um the gift of editing and the gift of being brutal around your processing and the gift of the yes and the no's. Yes, I took 3,000 photographs. Yeah, but you've got to whittle it down to 35. <laughs> you know, things like that, like how to... I think the biggest gift of the um, education that I had was how to edit without so much emotional attachment to it. I'd be really st strong in my editing and that's... Um, meant that the work that I put out hopefully speaks much greater than more volume yeah just less more volume um less less volume more impact mm, yeah yeah does that and make I sense say, yeah, I've gone way does. off track that's a classic maneuver on my part I love it because I feel like you just you get to better levels than any question I could ask would get to actually but like I think one of the things that's really interesting about what you're saying sort of from the photographer's point of view, I know that as someone being photographed, I've often, often when I've thought to myself, I trust Ebony. I mean, we have probably, yeah. so, you know, we've known each other a bit longer than some of the people you photograph. But in that, I think, has been an interesting part of the journey as well, is just saying they think this looks good. I will trust that, you know, even though I don't re recognize myself in this, I trust that this is what I look like, you know, and this is an accurate sort of um, what's the word, you know, this is an accurate representation, representation. of myself. Yeah. yeah. And that's something I'm interested in. Um, like, Going back to that, Pip, though, I would say yeah. there was a couple of photographs that I took of you and I remember thinking, God, you were, it was so beautiful. It was so, I loved the light. The light was good. The, the, um, you were quite calm at that point, <laughs> which is, I really mean that. Like everyone needs to calm down when they're having their, they can't keep talking to me. We have to get quite quiet. It's almost like meditation because otherwise they're talking the whole time. Not, not that you did that, but this is a common 
thread that happens, but you quite calm. We do, funnily enough, because you know someone really well, doesn't make it easier. Mm. I actually don't think. I think sometimes being photographed by a stranger, as long as you have that, just simply a photographic connection can sometimes be easier. But yeah. we, there were a couple of photographs that I know that you probably won't use, but I'm allowed to love them. And that's my choice. <laughs> well, actually, it's really funny because this year I revisited them and I actually sent them away. I was like, yeah, actually, I kind of <laughs> see what, what everybody was talking. I don't know. Like, it's just, sorry, I, this isn't meant to be about me, but I just think that no. it's just that that day I was so grateful for your compassion. <laughs> I think this is common with most clients, most clients I have. They actually, they will, I think, I mean, I try to be generous with my work. Mm. So that you have a scope of work so that um, um, because I think it is an investment and a good photograph can last for years and years and years. You know, I think about, you know, I photographed lots of people from Victoria University Press, but I think about when I photographed Elizabeth Knox in particular, like she already kind of knew what she wanted and it was, um, I was kind of joining her on her journey and it's different with each person but one thing about Elizabeth which I think is amazing is because of her work and her years of being in that space she has been photographed for a long time and there's a particular image on her lounge wall which is utterly stunning by another photographer back in the day and I remember just thinking gosh if I can just take one like that of anybody it doesn't have to be her of anybody it's like that's it's very simple. It's like a Patti Smith photograph. It's white background, black and white, extremely compelling. It is about the person. That's it. It's not about all of the setup. They don't have to wear makeup. They don't have to be done up. There doesn't have to be a thousand things going on. It's about the light and the human and the phot photographer meeting them in that space and capturing this moment. And that's I think that it really can be as simple as that. Yeah. yeah. My setup's quite simple. I, yeah, at the moment. I've got plans. <laughs> I'm excited. I've got plans. You asked me that other question. Sorry, I interrupted. Oh, no, no, that's perfect. I, I actually, like, I'm just looking at this image of you again. And, you know, this idea of simple setup, um, like, the things around you, like you say, like I've seen this photo cropped into a smaller portrait, mm -hmm. but yeah. looking at it in landscape, these things around you are part of the story that the that it's telling, eh? Like, mm -hmm. yet I think that when it's cropped, it tells something of a similar story. I don't know. Like, do you have any thoughts about setting when you're when you're photographing? Like, yeah, like where to place people, or, or in this yep. picture in particular, like. Was there a temptation to move the earring rack or move the the BMX or, yeah? No, I think part of my, I've worked out, I mean, I like, there are different types of photography and portraiture. I think some of my most favourite would have to be environmental portraiture, kind of like old National Geographic's. You know, they're obviously taking a portrait of someone. It's not always just documentary. It's often a portrait of someone like, um, you know, someone in Mongolia in their space. They're in their space. And it's a very honourable image of that human in their space. And around them, it tells the story. And what they're wearing tells the story. And 
the tones of the area that they're from. And so I do think about that a lot because I come from a black and white background. I think tones, uh, I, it actually has taken me years to become friends with colour and I have been deeply fallen in love with colour, but through the viewpoint of that, that interplay of dark and light and tones, and I think that served me well. I'm not there to... I kind of think about... I'm basically photographing in black and white but with colours gently dulcet put in you know I mostly it's about the person so I don't want it to be overtaken by other stuff I do think about it a lot um I also work with what I've got you know I don't have the opportunity at the moment to do huge budgets it's just not and and in fact I have managed to do such a huge amount of work on having such a small kit and um, I was told don't go out and buy all the things that you think that you need right now just one at a time and that has been the truth and now I'm absolutely obsessed with buying a $2,000 lens which I can't <laughs> you know like but I really need it now because I'm ready now after all these years you know I am ready but when I think about I'm just going to look at the image because as you're talking I want to make sure that I I I see it in there and I will find it in just a second. But um, the tones are good. I quite, if someone said to me, I have a blue eye, which is interesting because that's not the most bluest portrait. But I think also what that means is I don't mind the darkness creeping into the image. Um, I'm not afraid about, um, becoming like the late when I was studying the the biggest thing around was light and bright and I was like oh I'm dark and moody basically goth emo at this point you know like not interested in that and I think the I I was very lucky to for, um, have interviews with some amazing photographers so um, they didn't become mentors, but I have followed their work. And some of them are quite famous, like Andres Apps is this massively famous landscape photographer. I met him in Ocarito in his house and he showed me his setup and his work and we talked things through. He seemed to say in his own words, he was like, you'll be fine because you're stubborn, I can tell. Which is basically, and he said that's a good thing because you'll specialise quicker. You won't get so... Um, don't, don't worry too much about having to take all the work. Specialise quicker and really hone in on what that is. And he doesn't really photograph what I want to do, but I'm gobsmacked by his work. And then there's also um, another photographer up in Auckland whose work I photograph. He does a lot of analogue work and it's incredibly dark and it's almost too dark for me sometimes, but I really love the tones and I deeply appreciated his support. I guess what I'm trying to say is um, I don't, I think I have, I was born with an eye. I don't know why that has been my case, but how lucky to figure out that I had one. And the journey of photography has not been stagnant. Like at the moment, I'm about to push my work out into studio work. I'm going to get my very first studio I've ever had. And um, in a very small space, not a small space, but a ch cheap space, long, you know, long term, hopefully. 
um, because I'm extremely restless about the fact that I'm plateauing slightly in my field and I want to push myself to use studio lighting and instead of just using the natural light it would mostly be studio lights and when I studied and I worked with the studio lights I became obsessed quite terrified it was one of the reasons why I actually went to school was because I needed to change to digital and I wanted to learn how to work a studio um, and just like self-portraiture I'll be able to do that by myself in my studio without too much um, too many expectations of how, how it goes but the other type of photography I'm obsessed with is actually fashion photography. I find it extremely powerful, um, especially knowing when in the, some of the history of photography, like the Vogue years, like back in the 50s and stuff, 50s and 60s and 70s, or most of those photographers were also amazing art photographers in their own field who were then hired by these fashion houses because at the end of the day, they're trying to push forward in their originality. They are trying to go to some other space. And I think New Zealand's quite prudish in lots of ways. And I think the gift of Instagram is that it's, it is sucking, it is sucking away my time, I have to say. But I have been, my visions have been expanded to other types. Um, and it can be architectural or um, nudes or whatever it is, but it, into the world of art photography it's been huge and also like centers of photography I feel really sad that New Zealand has lost its kind of central you know we, we had a bit more and we've lost some of those spaces but recently went to a, a talk with Yvonne Todd and felt the well fill back up again was so inspiring incredibly inspiring and um, relatable and funny it was funny and lightened my life up for a while have I completely missed the point again because I'll do no. that no you are doing you're doing amazing I'm like just loving it you're fantastic um one thing like I'm not sure there's an easy segue into this question but please answer it that... and segue out of what I've been going into do it <laughs> do it for me Pip. do it <laughs> Well, what I'm thinking about, I guess where I'm at is I'm thinking about storytelling. I'm thinking mm -hmm. of tones of light and dark. And I'm thinking that's, and I'm thinking about gear, like I'm thinking about studios and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about your music and your mm -hmm. photography to me seem to fit together exceptionally well. Like, I mean, that, you know, that, that seems mm -hmm. like a logical two things for you to be doing. Um, but I'm wondering about the music and me too. You know, I, I'm wondering about, <laughs> I guess what I'm wondering about is like, is point of view something you think about when you're, you know, how we've talked about the viewer, you know, the third person that's in the room when you're photographing someone, which is the viewer. When mm. you make music, are you thinking about audience at all? Do you think or? Um, Funnily enough, no. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I think it works the opposite. It's totally the opposite. I think I was a musician. I mean, I was a photographer for a long time, uh, just for myself, but I hadn't, I um, hadn't gone into a profession in that space. I went into music first, actually, and had some success in New Zealand, you know, in my, in my domestic touring and stuff. 
and putting out records and things. But um, that was been a bit of a journey. But um, uh, no. And what actually happened is I almost burnt out because it was pushing outward so much with the touring. But actually, my favourite thing is, is there a favourite thing? I mean, there's different facets on different days. But I think writing is an incredibly internal process for me. I didn't explain my work to my band or anything. And they didn't need me to. What an honour, you know, they didn't need me to. They liked collaborating was a very organic experience when I had my band so we just kept accumulating more members who wanted to be a part of it and I think I write for myself I would arrange a lot myself but then the deeper kind of editing work would happen with the band and the capabilities we were able to do at the time and then touring is not about me it's about giving it away so it's the service of the work and I think those are opposites too but that's, um, I think, yeah, we can get into music. It's a deeply, so, you know, like it, it, it's so powerful. But at the same time, and realizing that I could, that I could do it, you know. Mm. Um, but when I came to the end of my time with Evan Sparrow, which was my band, I had almost gone back into my shell emotionally. I was absolutely burnt out and spent not, because of them just because of what it takes to mm. keep giving in that way and the thing about um photography is I could kind of take it back and I didn't have to I, it was my eye it was me it was my brain it was just ebony I didn't have to yes it's with a client sometimes and everything but it's actually it was a lot smaller and a lot more quiet and for whatever reason, that's my personality type. Juxtapositioning between that and playing for hundreds of people and making really <laughs> big noises. And, um, you know, I'm an introvert, extrovert, 100%. I need lots of days by myself to be with other people. And then it looks like I'm great with other people, and I am. And then I'm not. And I'm an <laughs> asshole, and I have to leave. And I go back to my photography world. Um, but I have to do both. I actually get a bit. I'm so used to being quite open and honest about what it's like that sometimes it gives people a bit of a fright. If you've, I, have, I do have to um, probably uh, be a bit more aware, aware that I'm taking someone on a trip when they're in photography land. So it is quite personal to them. So in that way, I'm of service to them, but it's one-on-one. It's way more manageable. Mm. With my writing of my work, like I've, I'm sitting on a record. I've made a record. I'm very lucky to have finally finished that record it's not out in the big wide world I just listened to it by myself it's great it's all mastered it's been made with some amazing collaborate collaborators who um believed believed in my work and believed in me and I think the gift about changing from having a big band was um I got quiet again I wrote again and I wanted to write better and I I hadn't I, I just didn't have the time before. I also have a family. I also work part-time. I also needed to support my partner who, when our band had finished, had to go through rehabilitation from having a car accident. This is all really long-term stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a mother to an eight-year-old now and I have a 20-year-old daughter. So there's a lot going on. Um, yeah, you, you do have to fight for art if you're an artist in a family. 
yeah the worst part is when you fight with them that's not good you just have to fight for time I think that's (laughs) and yourself and I yeah um so when I think about the work and my writing of my um, music I mean it's extremely revealing I do need to be by myself I can't have anybody else around and it comes out and sometimes it comes out really fast some of my best songs always come out really fast and um I've wanted to extend my range. I'm a self-taught musician, so I I can get quite trapped. And actually the gift of having those two co-producers up in Auckland help me was that they they kind of gave me what I get, what I give to my photography clients and portraiture, they gave to me as producers and music. They gave me the journey. They backed me, they've played with me, and they extended my art into a space that I wanted to be in but was unattainable to me Mm. you know I think that's why people get people like me to take their photographs it's like they could take their own photograph or they could get a friend to but at the end of the day you do want to extend yourself to the highest good that you possibly can so at the moment I feel quite a lot of peace and I've probably become slightly lethargic because I'm emptied of that work that has been sitting around me for about three or four years. And now COVID's happened. I just have to be very patient. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yes. The patience, the patience. I'm not so good at it. Um, With, with this idea of writing songs, this is like, obviously I know nothing about that. So I, I am allowed to ask a silly question. Yeah, no, ask. Um, One of the things I'm always really interested in when I'm singing along to a song is Mm. that when a singer-songwriter says something like, um, you know, I went here or I did this or I did that. I'm wondering, are they, I'm just wondering about point of view. I'm wondering about whether a writer of a song thinks about whether this is a song about another person, Jolene, Mm -hmm. or whether it's about them, you know, it's autobiographical or, and do you think, some writers only write autobiographical songs and some writers only write, I mean, that's a bigger question, but I'm just wondering in your own process, like I imagine the words are a little bit in service of the music, which is another factor of constraint that comes in. Mm -hmm. But I guess, yeah, anything you can tell me about that process of sort of working out where the story is being told from. Yeah. Totally. I, um, well, there's different types of songwriters. I mean, some some writers are extremely good at um, story songs about other other people, and um, often it's a societal reflection that they're singing about. So, you know, I think about um, you know, I come from a background of folk and country music. Um, we've discussed this at length recently because actually pre predecessor to that as I was a massive indie you know alternative and sometimes electronica fan so a bit of punk bit of I love opera you know I love I absolutely love classical music the the range is wide Um, and I love jazz so there's all these different types and I think about you know there's lots of singer songwriters they're there for different reasons um I've often been quite jealous of people who can write from such a different viewpoint about about societal things. I think about like Bob Dylan 
or somebody who writes about these incredible stories with these amazing chorus lines that are very long, that they are epic and they are needed. You know, humanity has needed those songs to grasp onto, to feel that, revolu- you know, that feeling of revolution because it's so shit right now in other countries or in, in society. So um, I have often wished I was a bit more political, but I haven't put myself out into that sphere because um, I'm not capable at the moment. I'm not able to do it in a way that I feel honors the situation that I want to be in. So I've had to um, come back to what I know the best to do, which is to write from my viewpoint. And my viewpoint is often three different stories in, 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 in a song. And so for me, my work is way more like poetry. It's um, sometimes it's, there's been a very fruitful past in my life. So I'm, there's a lot to pull on. And I think also that I'm so, I've been so deeply emotionally, um, emotions and colors and feelings and spaces and smells and temperature even play such a huge role in my everyday life. I've got such a huge memory banks from a young child of everything that's ever happened apparently I'm not the only one that this happens to but for me it's been, it was really intense so actually there's a huge bank of feeling to write about that I can pull upon but often it's societal or it's observe I think it's observation observation of other people too and if I allow myself to go into the poetry more that it's not fact it's not like i it's not a story song that, that, that's a set of facts. It's, um, I think, in another way, some people don't know what I'm singing. They haven't found my enunciation very good. And in, in this last record, I think you can understand everything. But I don't think the point is missed because of the words not being heard. So if there's, think about that, it's like the emotion and the sound and the, and the tone and this pace of the music will take you on the same journey you don't need to know what the words are so that's quite but at the same time it wouldn't feel the same if there was no one singing so what a weird thing you know it doesn't have to be so vocally it does also allow the person the interpreter of the of the of the work the listener the option to to um kind of sculpt it to their own desires in that way it actually leaves space for other people to interpret the work the way they want to because I don't think there is a right and a wrong way with my work I've had some people connect really deeply to some of my songs and email me and let me know and and um and uh I've felt really heard um, but I'm, but I don't stay there. By the time I've released a record and I'm touring it, I've actually often let a lot of that work go. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I I have a question. You've you've kind of blown my mind a little bit. This idea. Um, I I never know how to ask this because I'm I. But I'm really interested in this idea that. Um, I'll try. I'll try and find the right way of asking this. So <laughs> the noise that you make when you sing is different to the noise that you make when you talk to people and all those mm-hmm. sorts of things. And like, what I heard about what you were just saying is that 
you have the ability through um, sort of using that voice to make different noises to, to change tone and mood and mm-hmm. emotion. And mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, I just really want to know what that's like. Like that must be incredible to have these two modes of communication that are attached to the same function, if you know what I mean. Like, I guess it's like kind of walking and dancing, but I just, I don't know, like, what does that feel? I, I mean, I guess it's hard because, you know, you, you probably do it completely um, immersively and automatically, but I just, I don't know, like, what, what is, what, what is it? I like know what to you're saying. Back to talking, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I could talk the way I sing, I'd choose that. Because I, I don't know how I managed to. Um, I have a particular tone in my voice that was untapped, totally untapped for years, years and years and years. I actually didn't know it was what it was until I was about thirty. So that's quite that's quite old to figure that out. Um, so when I think about the fact that I'm able to make a sound that resonates, and what is singing? What is it even? I've talked about you know, I come from that folk community, you can have these conversations, and sometimes people, so we're lucky in New Zealand that there's actually this incredibly deep folk community that's not visible to the industry or to, you know, you have to go and meet people and you have a kindred spirit with them, and I still do. Um, and you connect on such a level that often deep hippies, you know, they're great. They get right into it. Don't, don't have to go right down into the rabbit warren with them every now and then. But sometimes it's so important because it's like, what is singing? It's a re- and, and I think this is, you know, like, um, what is music? You know, it's so um, I know that singing brings joy, that resonance of. Um, so when I sing, I get an incredible amount of joy from singing um I became a singer um after I figured out my register I had no idea that I wasn't a soprano (laughs) you know I think so much of our adult decisions are based on what we're told as children and I thought that I was some kind of weird soprano from and also I think it depends on how we've behaved in their life and I've got definitely got some trauma around singing I think a lot of people do and around music that you can't do it it's a special club you can't join you don't have the gifts and I just think that's such bullshit so I believe that everyone can sing um some people might not always have the right tone or whatever but I think that it's really important I think it's what we do with our children it's what we do with our babies it's what we do you know parties it's at times a celebration it's all that kind of stuff but it's also um so being someone who I still get a fright sometimes hearing my voice first time I heard it amplified amplified I I got a bit of a fright um I really learned to sing by listening to jazz singers and singing along and realizing that I could sing some of the ways that they were singing and it I was like oh it and I think it was coming back to self. It was just coming back to self. And um, I started to let go of some of those um, conversations where I had been told that I wasn't going to amount to much. Sadly, that is in my past, some of those conversations. So um, letting go of some of that and, 
and having a go, just having a go and being encouraged to. Um, for whatever reason, I, even yesterday, a good example would be I went to the supermarket yesterday, didn't have a very great experience, social distancing, too many people in the supermarket, whole clusters of families, I was a bit annoyed. Anyway, I um, listened to some music on the way home and I just started singing at the top of my lungs, which I often do in the car. I sing often by myself in the car. And I realized I could sing again. So it's not a given for me. It's a, um, it's a constant surprise. The reason I was so pushed on making this last record is I could have turned actually away from music entirely and just become a photographer. And a lot of people push to say, you should just specialize in one thing. I tried to do that. I, I go crazy. Um, I think it was explaining to these lovely people that I'm working with. It's like, it feels like if you figure out that you have a gift or something that you're really interested in and that I didn't ask, it's just something I have. It feels like a dishonor to my life if I don't fulfill the opportunity that it warrants me. If I decided to not sing, I probably only got about another 10 years left of my voice as it is, and it will change. By the time I'm 10 years from now, it will have changed. And I kind of am trying to seize, seize this time. I'm very aware of that. Um, I love hearing other people sing, especially our little boy Rowan, who is, children are a little bit funny with their tone and he started singing recently and it just, I almost burst into tears because it's so special. So I don't know if that answers the question. I think my talking voice, I mean, it sounds like Lynn of Tara and my singing voice is like a big black woman sometimes. So who knows? It's a journey. You know, I think about that and I think, well, the cool thing about lockdown and possibly the last couple of years of getting quiet again is that um, um, it gave me some space to start again in a different way. So playing around with keys and, and my range and getting another thing is I'm really interested in listening to other singers talk about the work. So um, a good example would be PJ Harvey has some amazing interviews with her around her work, especially in her later years um, around the writing, you know, and hearing that that it gets that it never stops, that it can your experience of your art can widen. Joni Mitchell definitely, um, Kim Gordon, you know, like people you don't always have to love the music, but you can love the work, the way that they talk about the work, and I do love some of that work. Absolutely. Tom York, you know, all of those people, they make a huge impact on my life. Also, people that are not musicians. I can highly recommend a YouTube um, interview so similar to this with Gregory Crudson, who's an amazing photographer, and he does it with filmmakers and writers and photographers. Um, Nan Golden is an amazing photographer who I deeply love and I keep going on about her because she just went on tour with her work because no one was going to give her uh, an exhibition but she just made her own exhibition and used to play really big loud records and that was her way of touring and she's this 
cult icon now, but it's beyond that she's um, profoundly connected to her humanity and doing of service, but also coming back, Sally Mann is another one coming back to, you can have, she talks about having um, talent, it's not enough, you have to have tenacity. You know, and I was like, oh, just stay in the ring, just stay in the ring, you know, keep working on the work. Who says it's art? Who cares? Do it because you need to do it. So that's that's with me a lot at the moment. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Oh my gosh. Oh, thank you so much for such an amazing conversation. I feel um, invigorated again. Like I just, I'm just going to take so much of this to give me some momentum for the day. I just really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ebony. Oh, Pip, you are a gem, and thanks for having this podcast. How wonderful it is. I mean, what an honour to talk about our work, especially, I have to say, this last kind of few weeks, it's felt a little bit like um, some of that energy just had to go in other ways, and I felt, I don't know, I don't want to say drain, but it's, it, it is a bit of an energy suck. And so at times like these, to have people reach out and, to make friends with other artists and to talk about the way we work is so powerful. I'm lucky that I have that. And mm. thanks, for, thanks for reaching out. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Okay, um, this is my idea for an exercise. Um, I was thinking what it is to write a self-portrait. Now, I realize that we write about the self in all sorts of ways in writing and it has a long tradition and there's all sorts of exciting experimental stuff happening now as far as writing about the self. But what I was wondering is, what is it to try and get a snapshot of a moment? And also, more importantly, perhaps I'm wondering about this question of point of view. What happens if we place a camera in time and space and then describe an event? So um, this is the great thing about our imaginary cameras. They can travel in time as well as space. So I was sort of thinking, you know, what is it um, to tell the story of, say, you know, our, our first day at school with the camera placed in the blackboard looking straight at us. Then maybe what is it to um, write about our first days of school where the camera is um, 10 years later um, looking back. So yeah, this was my idea. Place that imaginary camera, then just free write for three minutes and then you might like to move that imaginary camera and write again. So that was my thought. Anyway, thank you very much and I hope your day is going well. <laughs>